There we go. Good to see you. Welcome. If it's your first time, we're doing a new series. This is week two, uh, 66 weeks. So a 66-week series covering every book in the Bible. Um, First service, I did the first part of Exodus, and now I'm doing the second part. I'm not quite sure whose bright idea this was, but uh, well, we'll see how well I do. But um, all right, so I got to, first service, I got like, did okay, but I kind of like forgot the most important part, which was the Passover. It was Passover this week, so happy Passover. Um, And the last plague, which is the most disturbing plague that God releases on Pharaoh, on the embodiment of evil itself, uh, was the death of the firstborn of all Israel. From the firstborn in Pharaoh's house to the slaves in the dungeon, God took the firstborn. And you know, that should sit sideways with everybody. It's really hard to get around, your head around it, but uh, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And the reason why God poured out these, these plagues, why he performed these incredible signs and wonders, and why he eventually broke the back and the spiritual principality over Egypt was to demonstrate his power, not only to the Egyptians, but to his very own people. His very own people did not believe in God. They did not have faith in God. They didn't think that God, God's power would come through from them, that would free them from slavery. But God said, your house can be protected by applying blood on it. And this is the only plague that we are called to commemorate, that we are called to remember. Since it was so heavy, since it was so dramatic, that that the sacrifice of the firstborn of, of, of Egypt, the, the, the sacrifice of innocent blood. It's like, how do you? And then we think about the cross. And we says, okay. This is a pretty big illustration here, God, but I get it. It is only by the shedding of innocent blood are we allowed to have the forgiveness of our sins? And it is only by stri- the, the, the stripes on Christ's back that our bodies become healed. And we see God even heal his people in Israel. He's out to heal us. He's out to save us. And he redeems his community. But it is only through the blood that the house is saved. It's only through the blood that the house is saved. Jesus will go on to talk about this. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and they said to him, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks 
taking this and take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given to you for the do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. This, is, this cup is the new covenant. This is the new covenant. He's replacing Passover. I'm probably more Jewish than anybody in the room. Maybe, I don't know, maybe there's a few of you. I don't celebrate Passover. I, I sit at the table and I take communion because this is the new covenant. My blood, which is poured out for you for the remission of sins. And so while Jesus, or while God, Yahweh, whatever you want to call him these days, well, that didn't sound right, did it? He's God. <laughs> that didn't sound good at all. He's he's. He's God, he's Yahweh, he's Jesus. Well, we don't have to face the death angel, well, we don't have to face God's judgment. Jesus says, I'm the new covenant. I'm the new deal. I'm the new law. This is what you do. I am the firstborn. I am that innocent blood. My blood was shed for you so that we could escape God's wrath. And as we begin to look into this uh, next part of Exodus, I think it's going to make a little bit of sense. Why would God want to pour out his wrath on me? Well, that's because you're evil. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, let's look at it. I'm a good guy, Pastor Josh, really. I know. I know you are. All right. Uh, Exodus chapter 19. Let's get into the heart of God. If you think God's a mean guy, listen to this. In the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, okay, so they did the Passover, they took off, they looted Egypt, by the way, they did, so they gained favor with, you know that, um, you know that Moses could have stayed in Egypt? You know that after the darkness that came, that, that consumed the land for three days straight, completely humiliated their gods, he actually won over the favor of Pharaoh's court over his officials. And he won over the favor, the favor of all the people in the land. This is the greatest temptation the world has ever seen because Moses could have made himself Pharaoh, yet he chose to lead God's people into a desert. It's amazing. That shows you the heart of this guy. So they leave, they plunder, and they loot Egypt. They take their, you know, they take their flocks and they take their cattle and they take everybody's gold too. And they go out into the desert to worship God. That's their number one objective is to worship God. 
Now in the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. And after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain, which is Horeb, or, the Mount, or Mount Sinai. It's the mountain of God. Uh, for our purposes, Mount Horeb and Sinai, it's the same thing. So if you get confused, uh, I believe it's the same mountain. The people debate this. We don't know. Um, but we'll just say it's the same mountain. How about that? Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, and he said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully, and if you keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be a treasured, you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So you want to know what God's will was? God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for his children, for the Israelites? It was for them to be a nation of priests, a holy people. This is his desire is that they would be God's vehicle for redeeming the whole place, all of humanity. Some people even think that it was their job to redeem all of creation, that this was God's vehicle. This was his plan. He sees us as priests. You and, and me, not just, not just Pastor Josh and Pastor Mako and Pastor Larry, but you. God calls us to be the priesthood of believers, and he wants to empower you to do the things that Jesus has done. He thinks that highly of you. And the reason why I read 19, because we always like, what, what's God's will for me? What does God want me to do? There it is. What's God's will for the church? There it is. For the bride of Christ, he wants us to be a nation, holy kingdom of priests. I think that's amazing. Now, what happens? Part of this grand narrative, we screw things up. We screwed it up. Or let's, let's blame them. They screwed it up. But we do it too. Like, most of us in this room, I don't know, maybe you don't even know God as well as you think that you should know God, but deep down inside, you know that God has a purpose and a plan and a good and pleasing and perfect will, yet for some reason it all gets messed up. So this story of the Israelites, it's our story, folks. 
It completely applies. You will see it. You, when, we, when I began to tell you this narrative, I'm going to paraphrase most of this because I've learned that I'm not going to get to the end of this today. When I paraphrase, you will see yourself in this story. So they get let out into the desert, right? There is 600,000 men and their wives and their children. So we're pushing a thousand. I mean, it's a thousand. We're pushing a million. So they've got a million people. Moses led over a million people and all the flocks, all the herds, out of the most powerful nation of its time, most likely the new kingdom. The empire was spreading fast, and they just ripped them off. Uh, historians and archaeologists, really, we don't have any uh, proof from Egypt uh, that Israel existed for the most part. Why is that? We don't have proof of the exodus. Why is that? I don't know. If I was writing my own history, I don't think I would include the fact that uh, they completely ripped me off and plundered my country. Uh, rulers don't brag about losing that bad. Um, the, there's, there's a couple of different, there's all kinds of theories. I wish, I said this first service too, I wish the Bible would have told us who the Pharaoh was of the Exodus. We don't know who he was. Could have been Ramses II of cartoon fame. Um, could have been Merneptah, could have been some other guys. Uh, Merneptah, interestingly enough, so if you're wondering if archaeology fits with the Bible, Merneptah is a Pharaoh after Ramses II. Uh, again, he was on conquest, and this is the only... Uh, period um, inscription that we have of Israel. And it's called the Merneptah Stele. It's like a, it looks like a gravestone, about this big. And in the cartouche, it says, I, Merneptah, uh, I beat the Assyrians, and I beat the Canaanites, and I destroyed Israel, and his seed is no more. Again, this is, this, is what, uh, this is what pharaohs do, and this is what kings do. They, they trash talk. So he's trash talking right now. But what's interesting about this, this is why we know that the Bible's true, at least for me and, and my history nerd self, is that Israel is referred to as his seed. And, and we know that Israel is always referred to in the male gender. All, every other nation is always a female. And so I was like, Wow. That's kind of cool. I guess they did exist. You know, the Exodus probably is true. Not that that really matters to our faith, but I think it's cool. So sorry for that rabbit trail. Um, all right, so, so there we go. We have, uh, we have them completely looting and taking all the gold. They're in the desert. Do you know how long it takes for you to die in the desert if you don't have water? It takes three days. So you got three days to suck it up before you die. And this is, how we, this is how we began to see the Israelites mess everything up because they're a lot like us. They see the sea get parted. They see the power of God do crazy, miraculous things. Like these people should be people of faith. Like they, their faith should be 100% unshakable, right? Absolutely. God stepped in and saved them, pulled them out of slavery. 
They saw all these crazy miracles, these 10 plagues, frogs and, and cockroaches and an infestation, infestation of boy bands to make Pharaoh mad. They saw all kinds of crazy things. And yet three days in, I'm sure they took canteens with them. I'm sure they had water jugs. They had a camel pack or something. Three days into the desert, it begins. It starts. Three days of a little discomfort. God stretches them for only three days. He, they got a little bit of inconvenience. Life is a little hard. And the griping begins. The grumbling begins. This cynical spirit wells up into God's people. And it starts on day three. I'm thirsty, Moses. Did you lead us out here so that we could die of thirst? And immediately, like Moses, and he's like in, you know, he's in, I got I to gotta fix this mode. Calls out to God. And uh, they're by this, uh, the waters of Mara. I don't know where that is. But they're by the, the waters of Mara. And they're like, okay, well, there's some water here. And it's bitter. Oh, God is so mean. He leads us to bitter waters. It's bad water. It's poison water. God says, all right, Moses, let's fix this. Uh, I'll work with you guys. It's only three days. You shouldn't be whining already. You've already seen me part the Red Sea. I mean, I've been able to move a bazillion gallons of water with the, with the stroke of God's staff. And yet you don't have faith that, I, that you're not going to get any water. But okay, let's do it, Moses. Let's, let's make the waters sweet. And by the waters of Mara, Moses drops in a stick, and the water, the bitter water, becomes sweet. But the name never changes. Mara means the bitter water. And while the Israelites were drinking their sweet water, symbolically, they drank bitter water. And they took big, giant gulps of bitterness and cynical despair. And it wrecks God's plan for them to be priests in a holy nation. It goes on from there. They begin to complain about, oh, man, God, now we don't have any water. We have tons of cattle. We have tons of flock, but we have nothing to eat. That God lead us out in the, the desert to kill us, to starve us to death. We don't have a brain to think for ourselves that maybe we could actually, you know, kill some of our livestock so that we can eat it. Oh, God, it's just too complicated for me to problem-solve this issue. I want, I'm used to slavery. I'm used to being in prison where my slave master opens the prison cell and feeds me my mush. I want to be spoon-fed like I was when I was in prison, when I was a slave. 
Yet God still provides. Moses cries out to God. Oh God, this, these people, they're going to kill me. These grumblers are going to kill me. And so what does God provide? He provides bread from heaven. It's called manna. It's white flaky stuff that tastes like honey, I guess. And it comes. It comes six days a week. Some of them try to hoard it, and it festers, and it goes bad. And he says, on the seventh day, you're not to collect the bread. On the seventh day, this is actually the first law that we get. On the seventh day, you are to keep it holy. You're not to work. I need to break you out of this cycle of slavery, out of this cycle of bondage. The seventh day is mine. Because in Genesis, it is on the seventh day that I modeled rest to you. So on the seventh day, you take a break. Yeah, you need to be working all your six days. But in order to recalibrate your entire life, you need this seventh day to deprogram this slave mentality that you have, this addiction that you have to the man. And you need to break that spiritual principality off of you. And the only way that you can do it is by Sabbath, is by dedicating one-seventh of your time to God. One-seventh of your precious time to God. First service, we talked about some of the things that, that the devil did or the Pharaoh did to discourage the people. You know what he did? He brought in busyness into their lives so they would not go into the desert and worship. Interesting, isn't it? How are you doing with your schedule? Is your life crazy and hectic and busy and is your home life falling apart? Where does that come from? Did you create the busyness in your life? Maybe the enemy did. I don't know. What's more important, your schedule or God? Well, that was tough. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, moving on. <laughs> Feel good message of the year. Um, oh, God. It's better that we were in bondage in Egypt while we were getting our backs whipped because we have no meat. And so, like again, they can't problem solve. They can't kill some of their cattle. So God brings in them quail. He flies in, you know, some food. Really, he does. Like he's working with them. All right, fine, I'll give you some food. And he does. Here are my people. I'm going to, you know, I'll take care of you. You're crying out to me or you're whining out to me. I, I say this one all the time. God does not inhabit the whinings of his people. They haven't quite understood that they were called into the desert to what? To whine? No. They were called into the desert to worship, to praise God. Yet when they drank that Bitter water, it tainted them. It set the tone for the whole narrative. <sighs> it's better that we would have died in Egypt than to suffer this hardship out in the desert. I would rather die than worship God, is what they're saying. Very frustrating, right? You understand the tone that's going on here. God's just putting me out too much. 
Then it gets worse. They are complaining about their circumstances, about their situation. They complain about their assembly. And then they began to complain about Moses and Aaron. Maybe they should complain about Aaron. We're going to get to that. But why did they choose off the man that risked everything, that the man that could have been Pharaoh, he could have been the most powerful man that the world has ever seen, and yet he sacrificed his, he sacrificed that amazing opportunity to hang out with a bunch of grumblers. He could have been their masters, yet he chose to save them. He chose to love them. What's, uh, what's Moses' title, by the way? What is he? Is he a pastor? Pastor Moses? No, that's, that's not right. Teacher Moses? No, that's not right. He's a prophet. Somebody that hears from God. He also does something else in order to be a true prophet. And we'll get to that. All right, so... They complain about their situation. They complain about their leader. They complain about God. They wish that they, they want to go back to Egypt. Has God ever done a miracle in your life? Have you ever had a breakthrough? We were praying through breakthrough first service. It was amazing. We, I think we got it, too. Like, there was some worship and intercession that was going on, and breakthrough was the word, and I saw, I saw breakthrough happening on specific individuals that were getting ministered to in the front. It's a beautiful thing when you see that kind of stuff. I notice it. I love it. But when God does breakthrough in your life, it's an amazing thing. What do you get? When you're, in, when you're in bondage, what do you get when, when you're addicted to drugs and it is, you, you try the 12-step program, but that doesn't work, and it is only by the Holy Spirit that all of a sudden, bam, you're free of an addiction, like supernaturally. We've seen that, too. I love 12-step. We'll do 12-step we'll do all day long. We'll put you in program. We have ministries. We can, you know, we'll, that, look, sometimes you have to go through process. Sometimes you got to go to doctors. I got to go to a doctor. I don't like doctors. I wish God would just heal me immediately, but he hasn't. So I'll just get over it, okay? Sometimes you have to go through programs. So sometimes that's just, just the process you've got to do. But maybe he wants to supernaturally take that addiction away. And that's what happens to us sometimes. But here's the scary thing. When God does a miracle in your life, when he gives you breakthrough, guess what's next? When he delivers you out of bondage, guess what's next? The desert. I thought we were going to be on the mountaintop all day long, Pastor Josh. Why can't I just continue to live on top of the mountaintop? No, it doesn't work that way. For some reason, God will give you breakthrough. He will, he will free you from slavery and bondage. And just like Jesus, the Holy Spirit will lead you into a desert to be tempted. And that is God's will. Ah, sorry. It's just the way that it is. He's out to test your character. He's going to put the fire on you. He's going to burn the impurities out of you. I said at first service, God's out to kill you. He is. 
He's going to kill every part of you that does not look like him. And he's going to kill every part of you that, um, that is not how you were designed to be. You're, you're, you're not true self. You have a true self. There's a real you that God's designed you to be. And if you're not that, there, then there's something wrong with you. And God's going to kill that part of you. And, I, and he is not beyond killing you physically, too. Folks, if I screw up, God will probably kill me. Literally. It wouldn't be the first time that God's killed a pastor. Oh, I thought God of the New Testament was a, a, a nice, loving guy. He is. He's also very serious. He's dead serious. He's deadly serious. All right. Continue with my feel-good message. Um, <laughs> All right, let's get to the good part. All right, want to get to the good part? All right. Okay, so uh, after 19, uh, all, you know, 20, uh, 20 all the way up to um, 30, we got all kinds of weird laws, stuff you probably don't need to pay attention to. Um, All right, here we go. I'll read a little bit of this. This is 31. Thirty-one, twelve. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbath. Okay, first time he was just given it, uh, he gave it orally, right? He's giving it orally again. Uh, this will be a sign between you and me uh, for the generations to come so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath, okay? Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. How many people skipped church last week? <laughs> I got some rocks out back. We'll take care of you after the service. Pretty heavy, huh? We had uh, like like uh, like church growth folks. They have all kinds of strategies for church growth. You know, you need to have some better music. You need to have shorter messages. You need a smoke machine and some lasers. I kind of like God's plan. I think our attendance would go way up if we follow what God says about attendance. It'll just kill you if you don't show up to church. Wow! Thank God for Jesus, right? All right, I hope you guys get that. I'm not going to kill anybody. I'm talking a lot about death. Okay, so um, okay, so he says that. And he's about ready to go up on the mountain. Moses ascends to the mountain of God. And there he receives... The Decalogue. We call it the Ten Commandments. So he gets these ten sayings, these ten commandments. We're all familiar with them. Uh, some of them are common sense stuff that every culture has, like don't kill people or don't murder people, you know, honor your mother and father. All cultures have these common sense stuff. It's moral law. It's built into us. We all get it. And then there's other things like... Uh, don't have any idols. 
and keep the Sabbath holy. So he actually, they don't understand the whole death thing. So God actually has to put it in writing for them. Let me make this abundantly clear. I'm going to write it in stone. So you cannot make any excuses. All right? So we get the 10 commandments. And the way that it comes across, in which my imagination will go there, I love it, but it is, it is laser inscribed onto these tablets by the finger of God himself. Full-blown Charlton Heston going on here. I believe it. Why not? I think it's cool. Um, very theatrical. So God, it's, it's by the finger of God himself that inscribes the Ten Commandments. Everything else is kind of dictated. Like, I don't know, how to, how to make a tent and how to build a tabernacle and what size your table should be and, and uh, you know, what happens when two guys fight and, and, a, and a pregnant woman gets hurt and who dies and all this kind of stuff. So, but basically, uh, all of those laws are, are dictated to Moses, but it's the Ten Commandments that are the major categories for everything else. And that's why it is written in stone. And that is, frankly, I believe it's New Testament. Why wouldn't it be? There's no kosher laws in the Ten Commandments, thank God, or else you know, I wouldn't have enjoyed my shrimp on Friday night. I should eat shellfish on Passover. <laughs> Sorry. I am, again, I am so Jewish, but I am not Jewish. Does that make sense? I know. Kapczynski, that's a Jewish name, but I just don't. I want to get religion out of my system, folks. I don't need to blow the shofar to make me more holy. It isn't. If, if uh, Joshua at the Battle of Jericho, if they would have had tubas, they would be blowing tubas. I don't know. Sorry about that. I can get off on stuff. Sorry. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. So he comes down. And God says, so he's got, the t- he's, got the, he's got the tablets, and he's got this other, other stuff dictated to him. And so he's going to come down, and he's going to present it to the Israelites. And God says, wait a minute, Moses, we have a problem down there. And this is hilarious. This is absolutely hilarious. Because God, God says, it's your people that you let out of Egypt that are being really, really naughty right now. That's what God says. I think it's funny. Let's see if it says it here. Okay, here we go. Um, this is what's going on. Uh, all right. Verse 32, I've got to just read this part because it's important. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain... We're not sure how long the first period was. We're just going to say that Moses went up twice. Who knows how many times he went up. Um, when he, when they, the people saw that Moses was taking his time from coming down the mountain, uh, they gathered Aaron and said, Come, let us make gods who will go before us as this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt. We don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off all the gold earrings, uh, what your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings, and they brought them to Aaron. 
He took what they had handed to them and he made it into an idol. This is Moses' older brother. Uh, if you were with us last week, you know that there's this tension. There's this, there's this theme between an older brother and a younger brother. The younger brother, for some reason, always gets picked to be God's uh, chosen one. The older brother always messes stuff up. And here we have the older brother making an idol. All right. What's the big deal? We'll find out. And he cast it of a shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then he said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. This is like a major slap in Yahweh's face. Like, I don't know how, how this could be any more offensive to God. Have you ever had God jump in and save you from something? Yeah? Let's just say it was financial. Let's say you're, you know, you're, you're just like, you can't make your, your bills or whatever. And you cry out to God. And all of a sudden, everything just kind of balances. Everything just kind of comes in. You have two responses. One, you give God glory because you cried out to him. Or two, you say, wow, I really worked hard this week at my job. I earned it. That's an idol. Your, your ability to perform at your work is the idol. You did it within your own power, even though you cried out to God. That's, anyway, okay. Or my education came through for me finally. And you forget. How often do we forget when we cry out to God? We have like this really short-term memory thing going on here, don't we? When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and they sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and then they got up to indulge in revel, revelry. So they're really, do, they're, they're, they're partying big time. It's like, let your, no, don't let your imaginations go wild in church. Um, it's bad. Like, it's Coachella. <laughs> it's Las Vegas. It's the Playboy Mansion, right? Like, they're doing really bad, naughty things. Okay, here we go. Then the Lord God said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. I love this. They have been quick to turn away from what I have commanded, and they have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it, and they have sacrificed to it, and have said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt, not Yahweh. And I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them, then I will make you into a great nation. Oh, God's going to smoke them all. This is the same, this is the same uh, reaction. This is the same um, 
uh, I, don't want to, I don't say that God gets knee-jerk reactions, but this is the same response that he has during the flood when the children of, of God and the daughters of men messed everything up and evil people married with godly people and they, they tainted God's line once again and God was gonna, and God killed them all. <laughs> it's just, I know, God kills them all and he saves Abraham. It's that same attitude. God is like, because what, what does God say about Noah and his generation? He says, I regret that I had created them. I, have reg- I regret them. <laughs> That's tough. I think Noah did something. I think Noah said, don't kill him, God. Don't kill all of us. There's still hope. He was the only man that was righteous. All right. So God's going <laughs> to kill them all. He's done. He's like super ticked off. Because they, they just gave God the middle finger. I don't know how else to say it. I could probably say it a better way. Um, and he says, you know what, Moses? I'm going to start over with you. We'll just, we'll just do this thing again. It's like the ark all over again. I've done it once before, and I can do it again. Now, what title does Moses have? He's a prophet. All right, what do prophets do? They hear from God, right? They are the direct communication, at least in in the Old Testament, they are the direct communication from God to the people. They didn't have the book to communicate God's word. So it was done through the prophet, okay? And we see Moses functioning on that. He hears, you know, he talks to God face to face as, as a man would talk to his friend. He, he communicates to God while he's in the burning bush. So Moses understands God's language. He's, he, he prays, he worships, he hears, okay? But you know what? The definition of a true prophet does not stop there. Maybe, I don't know, sometimes, you know, the, the, the prophecy is a gift. It's a spiritual gift, Some people kind of have it naturally, and some people don't, and that's okay. Some people can work themselves into it. You can actually kind of learn how to do this this prophetic stuff, hearing God's voice. That's why we're focusing on it on Wednesday night. But I'm going to tell you something. Anybody can read tea leaves in the bottom of your glass. Just because you have a sense of what the future may be doesn't make you a prophet. Maybe it makes you a fortune teller. Maybe it makes you, uh, you know, shake the eight ball or something. Like, just because you have the ability to tap into something that might be supernatural, good for you. It doesn't make you a prophet. Intercession makes you a true prophet. And what does Moses do? He intercedes. He steps into the gap between God's wrath and the people. He could have just easily said, cool, God, I'm your prophet. I'm your man. Let's start all over from scratch. It'll be a lot easier. We won't have to deal with these griping, whining, grumbling people anymore. 
We'll just get a fresh start. Let's do it again. No, he doesn't do that. This is why Moses is so amazing. This is why he's a Christ type. Because he begins to act like Jesus. Like when he spread the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of his family, he understood the New Testament concept of the shedding of blood, the shedding of innocent blood for the remissions of sin. That's what he learned in this situation. And he's like, God, don't kill him. Let's not kill him, God. And then he does something very fascinating. He begins to use his human abilities to reason with God. They say that that's what makes us human. That's what separates us from chimpanzees, supposedly, is that we can reason. It's not, I don't believe that. I mean, there's other things that makes us human, like, uh, like God's image, or made in God's image. I think that that's probably more accurate. But they say that the ability to reason is what separates us. And Moses begins to practice his humanity on God, and he reasons with them. He says, God, don't kill him, because if you do, then the Egyptians are going to make fun of us. They're going to make fun of you, God, because you're the, it was by your power and it was by your might that led them out of Egypt. And if you kill them all, then what they're going to say is, oh, I guess they were right. God did lead the Israelites out into the desert so God could just kill them all. So you don't want those grumblers to be right, God, do you? So let's save them. That's what true prophets do. They love people. The motivation for any ministry, the motivation for tapping into any spiritual gift needs to be primed by love for God and love for people. If you don't like people, don't do ministry. Uh, If you're doing ministry to make yourself look good or look better than somebody else, don't do ministry. You have to have this compassion and this heart for people. And Moses does. And then he comes down the hill. God says, okay, you you won the bargaining, Moses. Let's work with them. I will take my wrath off of them because you have chosen to act like logos, to act like my son, and to intercede for those people. I think it's absolutely amazing. Moses comes down the hill, and then he sees the big party, right? And it shocks him. Like, he, come, he becomes unhinged when he sees the people acting in such sinful, lustful ways. He becomes unhinged, and he smashes the Ten Commandments. He, he, I guess he loses his temper. And it probably at this point, he's probably thinking to himself, you know what, God, maybe you're right. Maybe we should kill them all. Because he's actually witnessing what is going on. And you know what makes everything ten times worse? It was his older brother that stabbed him in the back. He takes this calf, this golden calf, grinds it up into dust, makes everybody drink it. I don't, I don't know if God wanted him to do that or not, but he did it. He's ticked off. And then he says, Aaron, why did you cause the people to sin? 
What in the world were you thinking? Why did you make a calf? Why did you fashion this idol? And Aaron's response was, well, the people were upset. They were going to get me. They demanded it from me. And again, we get back into this area of this tension between fear of God and fear of man. And Aaron fell prey to the fear of man over the fear of God. And basically, he succumbed to peer pressure. Okay, I'm just going to give the people what they want because I'm afraid of what they'll do to me or I'm afraid of how I'm going to look. I want to maintain my priestly status. You know why this, again, this was so upsetting to probably both God and to both Moses? is because while Moses was up on the mountain in God's presence, God was dictating all of these things, and he was going into detail about how much he wanted to honor Aaron as the priest of the temple or the priest of the tabernacle. He says, Moses, I want, Aaron, I want Aaron to be honored among all people because he is going to be the priest, him and his sons. They're the, his family are the only ones that can minister to me in God's presence. They're the only ones that can be the priest. And we're going to give him honor with this really cool turban and with the ephod and with, 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 with gold breastplate with 12 stones representing all the tribes of Israel and with another set on his shoulders. And so he just wants to honor Aaron so much, yet Aaron falls victim to what we all fall victim to, which is idolatry worship. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, Pastor Josh, I don't have a gold calf in my bedroom that I bow down to at night and I pray. Well, I guarantee you, you have some idol in your life. What is it that A, is more important to you than God, or B, that you put more trust in than God? Do you trust your 401k more than you trust God? Do you trust your your natural abilities and your intellect more than you trust God? What has the affections of your heart? Look, I'm not saying that you have to go to church and, and pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week. God only wants one day. He only wants one-seventh of your time. So it, it's honestly, it's unrealistic to be that dedicated you got to make a living, right? It's just one day. But what has your affections more than God? Is it your hobbies? God wants you to enjoy your hobbies, but what do you love more? Those things become idols. It could be your boat. It could be your... I'm going to say motorcycle and say something else, but that's what he's getting at. We all have them. We all fear man. So Aaron, what in the world are you thinking? Now, so you can understand the disappointment. Aaron gives the world's lousiest excuse I have ever seen. For eternity, we will be teasing Aaron about this next statement. What's he say? He says, 
well, all these people kind of made me do it. And so I took their gold and I threw it into the fire and out popped a golden calf. Big, fat lie, right? I mean, we are going to tease him because that's the most ridiculous thing ever. What's he do? Bottom line is he's not taking responsibility for his actions. And we do it. It's like, I don't know what happened, Moses. God, I don't know. He actually calls Moses Lord. Uh, Lord, I don't know what happened. It just came out of the ashes. I, they made me do it. I can't help myself. And we do this. God, I don't know what happened. I'm so lonely, and all of a sudden, this hooker showed up in my bed. I have no idea where she came from. It just happened. How'd this cigarette come out of my mouth? I don't know. It just automatically appeared out of my mouth. I, don't, what? I can't help myself, Lord. Or, they made me do it. They made me sin. It was my boss's fault. He made me sin. My spouse, he's the one that made me sin, right? They made me do it. Um, Moses draws this clear line in the sand and he says, okay, we're, this is it. I'm drawing a line in the stand. Who's with me? Because this isn't right. Either you're going to worship Yahweh or you're going to worship this golden calf. Who's with me? And it's the Levites. It's the people that tended the, the tabernacle that came over. And he says, all right, guys, if you really mean this, if you're really serious, this is where it gets heavy, prove it. We ha there has to be an accounting for this sin. There has to be a bloodletting for this sin. And so the Levites go through the camp. They kill 3,000 people. Uh, brothers, sons, family members. And Jesus says something very similar. Jesus says, I, you say I've come to, to bring peace, which is true. But Jesus says, I have not come to bring peace, but, but violence meaning that my law, this Christian life, is serious business. And it might require that you sever relationships with those you love, brothers, fathers, mothers, sisters. That's what he's saying here. Jesus is actually referencing this bloodletting because God's so serious about this relationship. Now, so Moses broke the Ten Commandments, and he's got to go up the hill for a second time. And this time, it's for 40 days. And this time, Moses gets a higher level of revelation. Like, the Ten Commandments don't change. I'm not sure if the other laws, I'm sure they, had a, they wrote a new law saying, don't worship golden cows. They're probably like, oh, man, gosh, well, we really have to spell this out, don't we? But Moses says, God, show me your glory. 
And again, you get this image that Moses is able to move into a higher level of intimacy with God. He speaks to God face to face as one speaks to a friend. God lifts him up, puts him into a cleft in the mountain. He says, I'm going to show you my glory. This is a little confusing. He says, you can't see my fullness, but you can see my backside. No one else, and probably no one still, except for Jesus Christ himself, has never seen the amount of glory that Moses has seen. Why? Is it because he was a prophet? It's because he was an intercessor. Because he chose to act like not only his, not only Abraham, but he chose to act like Jesus. You see, Jesus was there in the beginning. And when you read, I got to get the band and the ushers to come up to the front. And when you read the scriptures, when you read this master narrative from the beginning to the end, yeah, if I could get the Khalid. Khalid is our guest worship today from Pasadena House of Prayer. He's, he's a minister there. And he serves at a, at a local church as well. So it's an honor to have him here today with us. And... Oh, wow, it's late. I'm sorry, folks. (laughs) When you read the master narrative, it almost seems like God's failing. He failed in Eden. He failed at the flood. He failed with Cain. He failed failed with Abraham. And it seems like he's failing with Moses, but he's not. Because Jesus was there in the garden with the plan. Jesus is the ark that saves all of humanity. Jesus is Abraham's true promise. Jesus not only is the fulfillment of the law, the Torah, but he is the living written word. Jesus is the answer to all of our mess. He is, it is his, by his grace, that we get to enter into God's goodness and his mercy, where we don't have to experience the wrath of God. And Moses understood that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for meeting us here in a powerful way. And I pray right now that your word will just continue to pierce our hearts and that we will just move into maybe a higher level of spirituality where we just take this thing seriously. Because you're a serious God. And God, I pray right now that we will just apply your blood to every part of our being. If what we're hearing is corrupt, God, I pray that we will apply your blood to our ears. If what we're seeing is corrupt, I pray that, you, that we would apply your blood to our eyes. If there's brokenness in our home, God, may we just paint our, our doors with your blood. May we just apply it there. You're a good and loving Savior. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.